0: Okay, we're back up. Try this again. (laughs) Okay, so this is Get It Raw, a podcast. It's a physiotrician podcast, and we're going to talk about many different things, uh, things that are on the fringe, things that are on the cusp, mainstream ideas, theoretical concepts. Um, We're going to talk about things that have to do with healing your body, whether it be physical modality, or manual medicine in relationship to nutrition. There's a lot of uh, shit in our brains that we just want to let people know about and help them and empower them to be better than they even know or realize their potential. And at the same time, you know, every other podcast, we're probably going to bullshit a little bit and talk about real life Kayaking, fishing, tennis—you know, shit that matters to us. So, um, what about you? Let's 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 introduce ourselves first. So, go ahead and tell people who you are and explain what you do and where the setting you work at and all that stuff.
1: Well, I I am—I'll uh, go by Jay, and I am a physical therapist assistant working in an outpatient clinic for over 12, 13 years. And we see an array of patients from orthopedic to neurological, suffering from chronic pain to joint replacement to autoimmune, and as I said, neurological deficits, strokes, Parkinson's. um, Really, you name it, we see it. So outside of that, as we mentioned, love Fishing, kayaking, tennis, sports, just in general. I mean, get out, get outside, get moving, stay moving.
0: We love life. Yeah. We love moving around and having a good time, right? That's right. And age should not be a factor, although we're told that time and time again. Every and, day. Or, I'm sorry?
1: Every day. Every, every day, day I hear that.
0: That's right. And every day we hear that, and then every day we're told, oh, don't do this, don't do that. Ah. That's all bullshit. You shouldn't have any limitations. You should feel as young as you're able to keep yourself um, and enjoy your life. Okay, so who am I? We know who Jay is, but who am I? Well, I'm a doctor of physical therapy as well as a former strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I'm also a registered dietitian nutritionist. I'm very eclectic and uh my approach to care i think oftentimes we're too conservative and we're missing things um a lot of times we lack the capacity to do what is most beneficial for the patient because of regulations and restrictions or because we don't know anything we're not willing to think outside the box so that's why we brought you this podcast we just want to sit down and talk about the day-to-day things that people can do to better their lives and then make their life that much more enjoyable. Right? That's right. All right. So, and then we just want to have fun. We just want to bring you guys along with our bullshit and just fuck around a little bit and have a good time. Um, all right. So, Jay... We're saying, I'm looking at the notes here that we wrote for this introduction. I think we pretty much covered everything. Oh, probably should put out a disclaimer, right?
1: Probably. No, I was going to say we took notes.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> I think we did. I don't know who wrote this then, because it wasn't right. me. <laughs> no. Okay, but um, disclaimer, you know, although I'm a doctor of physical therapy, I am not a doctor of medicine. So the information we're going to cover, again, it's going to be on the fringe. It's going to be conceptual. There will be evidence. We will supply you with references and we will give you evidence for what we talk about. Some topics, however, will have limited evidence or no evidence because it's conceptual. But we'll still talk about it. We'll talk about the rationality for it and the risk and the risk for benefit and the risk for consequences, um, as well as the, uh, for whatever it is that you're trying to do, okay? So we'll talk about risk and reward with those concepts, which don't typically tend to be too high when it comes to physical therapy. Um, But at the same time, you probably shouldn't use this information as medical advice or as prescription or diagnostics. In fact, you should probably refer to your primary care provider or the necessary specialist to help you work through the conditions that you're looking to improve upon. That being said, we'll just carry on. Carry on. All right. Okay. Why are we going to talk about tennis, kayaking, and fishing when this is supposed to be a physiotrician podcast?
1: Well, beside the fact that we love all of those things, they're they're physical, they're active, and enjoyable. Uh, and I think that they bring a an extra element of of happiness, fulfillment to 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 life.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And if I couldn't do those things, if I was limited in my ability to do any of those, I would not be happy. I would I would trying to do anything to get back to what I wanted to do
0: yeah okay you'd be miserable like a lot of the patients we see
1: I would be miserable
0: yeah Uh, and just to be clear I just want to be clear to their audience we both work in an outpatient setting and a physical therapy clinic we see both geriatric and pediatric and people of all ages we have worked in sports medicine we uh, do work with neurology as well. So we see a wide range of individuals. And then early in our life, you know, especially uh, myself, uh, we worked in sports uh, conditioning. So I worked with professional athletes. I've worked with junior athletes. I've worked with people from all different ranges of athleticism. And right now, we just probably see a larger population of geriatrics, but it doesn't negate the fact that we still see a great deal of individuals from all age ranges. We're located in Florida, and that's why we see so many geriatrics.
1: A lot of business down here.
0: (laughs) That's right. Um, However, we enjoy, we have a place that we live in. It's kind of like paradise.
1: It's like living, you know, we we live where people go to vacation.
0: That's right. People vacation here, and they say, well, I don't know why I don't live here. And then a couple of years down the road, they probably move here. But we're like, yeah, this is paradise. So we want to talk about a bunch of different things, a plethora of ideas. Um, but when it comes down to it, we want to talk about the things that we really love and enjoy. And maybe, you know, throw out some ideas or maybe get some ideas of how to be a better fisherman or what waters, how to navigate the waters a little bit better in the kayak and where to explore, where to go. Just how to enjoy Florida. Yeah, that's right. For uh, starters, anyway. Yeah, maybe we can take it on the road one day and just enjoy the rest of the states, but the point is is that we just want to talk, and then I'm a very um, politically natured person, so I want to talk about current events, I want to talk about civil unrest, I want to talk about a whole bunch of other shit, and lucky for you, we both, both of us here, talking on the podcast, come from different backgrounds and we also have different perspectives. I am... um, very strong minded and opinionated and uh, i don 't know I, I definitely am different than you on the political landscape. what do you think
1: we have our yeah we have differences i 'm also strong minded and oh, that's for sure so but we we differ on a lot of a lot of subjects and opinions
0: that's right so the the reason I say that is because i 'm trying to convey that you and I are going to come at things at different different points of view. And we're probably going to disagree most of the time. We tend to anyway, right? I don't know
1: about most of the time, but mm-hmm. certainly will it'll be enough for discussion. It seems like it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it might get a little hot. It might get a little contentious. But uh, we've also agreed beforehand that, you know, our friendship comes first. And uh, we're not going to let anything really divide us. But basically what I'm trying to say is I want people that are listening to this to understand that it's okay to have different ideas and different perspectives and to come at things from a different angle and that we really should start uniting and agree to disagree. And that's probably what we're gonna do most time is agree to, to, to disagree, right? You say that. I you know it'll <laughs> it'll happen
1: on occasion, but I don't think it'll be like every topic, every show. But Things get too heated. Uh, I'm just going to smash one of those symbols over there, and at that point we know it's time to step back, take a breath,
0: and then regroup. well, we'll just have to wait and see but um yeah, Jay over here is quite is a musician, uh plays the guitars, plays the drums, keyboard a little bit. I however, don't have a musical bone in my body, and I have tried, but I really suck. <laughs> <laughs> um also i am a father i have a couple of kids i am married and uh jay here is not so that's another difference that we want to point out um because we want to we want you guys to really understand that you're going to get a lot of variety and uh that's okay that makes that's what makes life so much fun is variety but anyway I saw something last night. Uh, you know, I thought you might be interested. I wanted to bring this up today. Have you heard of the Monopoly experiment? I have not. Okay. I don't know where the fuck these guys are getting money for this uh, research, but this gentleman, um, I think his name is Paul Perf. I have to, like, look him up, and I don't have that technology with me. Right. Hey, you can go ahead and look him up if you wanted to. Anyway, Perf. I believe so, Paul Perth. He did a TED talk, um, but he also wrote up a written up a bunch of literature. Just put in, um, you know, the monopoly experiment, uh, and it should bring up his name, especially if you do it on YouTube. But um, basically, what these researchers wanted to see was uh, if people were given a different opportunity to succeed in monopoly by random luck, how would they react? What type of person would they, what kind of Characteristics would they display? Um, how would they treat the other individual? And, and what would they do? Wh- how, would they, how would they do with that game? Uh, in a way, they wanted to see if it was a, a representation of um, life, particularly life in America. And what they did was they took two people, okay, player A, player B, and they flipped the coin, right? got a 50 50 percent shot of winning the coin toss whoever won the coin toss got a little bit more money to start the game and they uh got two dice to roll with which means that they could travel further around the board and they could go around the board a little quicker uh whereas the person that lost the coin toss they got a little less money and they only got one dice to roll so they were handicapped okay, okay. which represents opportunity Okay, They didn't have the opportunity to travel, and nor do they have the resources to invest in property as much as the person who won the coin toss. The person who won the coin toss uh, not only had more money, but was able to travel across the board quicker. And every time you go past go... It's $200. That's right. Collect some money. So they're collecting more money, more frequently. Plus, they're landing on more spots. Therefore able to buy those, those places, okay, without necessarily going broke. The person that was the poorer individual was landing on their spots more often, having to pay out, you know, and did get around the go, the go part to collect some money, but obviously, as you know, they were poor compared to the other person the rich person, that's what we'll call them, the rich person started to display qualities that are very similar to what we see today that most people would relate to income inequality. They got a little cocky, got a little arrogant. They did not associate their success to the coin toss at all. They Hmm. associated it with their ability to invest and to deprive the poorer person of their cash flow. And essentially, you know who won. It was the richer person. The point of this study, basically, was to show if you're born in life with a lucky hand, how hard is it to lose that hand? And what is the inequality and opportunity do to society?
1: It's a very interesting study. That um, at the top the top two or three uh, results I pulled up here says monopoly makes people mean. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, but I, I can see why and how. Um, are are rich people mean? Well, we I I think we certainly see a a different attitude coming from richer people uh, and having a little bit more pride and ego that steps in and can can be construed as, as mean certainly at times.
0: Maybe even arrogant. Arrogant, yes. You know what's interesting though is that we say that but I wonder what the difference is between those that inherited wealth versus those that found wealth. You know? And I would bet to say that those that have inherited the wealth because of random luck, birth, would probably tend to be more mean. That would be my guess. As opposed to those that earned it, worked through it, you know.
1: I would think, but at the same time, I could see somebody earning it and taking a lot of pride in that and being arrogant all the same because they earned it, worked
0: hard for it. Okay. Whatever they did, they, they want to make it known that they did this. So with that being the case, possibly, what does it say about the people that were unlucky, that were born with one die and a, less cash, less resources?
1: I don't know what it says. What did, did did they find or see anything about them?
0: Well, no, it was just the, the fact that they wanted to see the difference in inequality right. and the differences in random luck and how that affected that. That an opportunity and inequality. But I mean, I think that if you look at that game as a representation of life, you see people that are born with a bad hand. Yeah. And it's hard. When you have a bad hand, it's hard to work your way back up. I mean, just imagine for a second you're born into a home that has one parent and you have a couple of siblings. That parent works multiple jobs, possibly minimum wage. You're moving from place to place, or you're stuck in one place that you can barely afford. You barely have clothes on your back and shoes. You go to a a school in a rough neighborhood. How hard is it to get out of that situation and work your way up? It's not as easy as we tell people. In America, that's what we tell people. We tell people, you can work your way up. Don't let your class define who you are. With hard work and determination, you can be somebody. And that's true to an extent. And in my perspective, that's more true in the past than it is now. Nowadays, I think it's extremely difficult. And I think that the upper class, the upper 10%, have figured out mechanisms and loopholes and the tax code and the government to further their success, their wealth, or success, however you want to determine that, and suppress the majority of individuals who are trying to work their way up, thus shrinking the middle class. Pretty heavy on, on the first.
1: A little, well, yeah, I, I, yeah.
0: Well, no, no. Go ahead. You w- w- look like you have something to say there. No. No. All
1: right. No. I, I, I can't disagree with you there. I mean, this is the this is the pattern that we've seen as, as society has progressed, and I use that word lightly, but um, certainly we we have uh, advanced in in a lot of ways. We have progressed quite a bit, and and I think you're, that you're right. It is getting harder to come up from a situation as you described. And I think that that upper 10% does kind of make it a little bit more difficult. And at the same time, wants it to sound as if it's not really that difficult. Um, I, I on, that, on that thought, I don't know how to approach making these things easier. Um, because they're they're pretty big problems. Uh, that, that are going to require a pretty big solution, I think.
0: A solution that has to go through politics and that have to uh, be worked out amongst people, right? Let me check this. Um, at the same time, just to mention this, I found that experiment. I had to immediately look at the TED Talk, and I had to immediately look at some literature on it, but I found that because I was watching a documentary last night called Capital. It's on Netflix. Okay. It was uh, put out in 2019. Pretty good documentary. Talked about the history of, ec- of economics, the history of capitalism. What is, and it's not about capitalism per se, as it is about capital. What is capital? Uh, back in the days of feudalism and before you had um, multiple a government, you had monarchies, you had knights and you know, uh, peasants, and servitude. And people were defined by their capital. How much land did they own? And what kind of assets did they have as far as materials? And they, were they able to lend money out? Now, the, the horrifying thing was slavery. Slavery was considered an asset as valuable, if not in some cases more valuable, Than property. And then you move into the Industrial Revolution, and people with capital realize that they can invest their wealth into factories, into industry, and propagate or or expand their slavery through labor. And they did pay individuals, they did, but it wasn't a wage that was sufficient for changing their social status or their class. And when people rose up to form unions or to fight back and demand more, the military, and this is in America, the, the military and armed militias were used to squelch those uprisings. And it wasn't until about after World War II, predominantly World War II, especially after World War I, that the middle class became a concept there was no such thing as middle class in 1854 or in 19 i'm sorry in 1776 there was no such thing you were either wealthy or you were poor and you look at most of our founding fathers they had wealth they did come from families that had money some of them did work hard to climb the ladder But most of them came from families of influence in politics and also in trade. So the middle class wasn't even a thing until after World War II. And it was because of unions and labor rights that we actually developed a healthy healthy middle class. And at that same time, we started to redistribute wealth by taxing those that had capital. And we did that as a way to recover from the wars of World War I and World War II. And what did we see? We saw immense prosperity when capital was controlled, not by the minority, but it was spread over the majority. But now the argument, and this documentary made that argument, that we're starting to revert back to the times of the 1800s and the 1700s, where... A, per, a small percentage of Americans control the majority of the wealth, and the vast majority of Americans do not. Thus, shrinking the so-called middle class. Good documentary. You got to check it out. It was worthwhile. Yeah,
1: I, it sounds like it's pretty pretty good documentary. I um, I watched YouTube clips from SNL, Wayne's World, and um, I learned absolutely nothing about capital
0: that's not true come on now (laughs) oh capital okay
1: uh but uh that's actually funny enough that one of the skits when they had Aerosmith they they asked them three questions the first two were about just uh, about the band and then the third one was uh they may have even used the word capital um I know that both Steven Tyler and and the other member I don't know his name um the, the the funny part was that they they both answered in a very politically charged, intelligent answer, and um, about socialism and about communism and Russia was involved in. But other than that, yes, I I learned nothing. I I don't even know that this was back in the probably early '90s when they recorded
0: this. So, um. ah, that can't be true. I remember Wayne's World and I remember Mike Myers. Making fun of capitalism, I think he made fun of capitalism in almost every movie he's ever done. Because even in um, the uh, uh, what's that movie, Um, The Spy Who Shagged Me, Austin Powers, yeah, right. When he wakes up from being you know frozen, he says you know immediately those capitalist pigs, and (laughs) and thinks it's communist Russia that won the war. But um, in Wayne's World, I remember him uh, going to like a communist party. Uh, you know, and 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 talking about it, and there's so much you can learn from pop, you know, pop culture. That's why I voted for Kanye West because all of his policies come from pop culture. Kanye was also on
1: one of the uh, one of the clips of Wayne's World. Oh, um, Get Out. I yeah no, it was the four, maybe the 45th anniversary, or or the 40th. It was an anniversary episode. Mike Myers and uh, Dana Carvey had come back to the show, and we're doing a Wayne's World top ten, and Kanye was there. I, I'm assuming to perform, and one of their one of their uh, they 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 went from musical guests as one of the top ten items, and they mentioned Beyonce, and they mentioned um, another band, and they said, we think we think that they're better than Beyonce, even better than Beyonce, and then the next event, the next. Number was Kanye sit down, and you know, I, I was like, Oh, wow, well, okay. So it's funny that you even bring up Kanye West, and that that all ties in
0: that, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, we all that's what we do here, we're just gonna loop around and tie everything in, but yeah, no, Kanye. All if you listen to his interviews, his total understanding of history and all his policies and ideas not only come from the Lord because he's you know. He's a Christian, which is great, Um, but also pop culture. But if it wasn't for the Lord, they wouldn't be in pop culture. So ultimately, it's because of the Lord that has led to his creation of policies and procedures and understanding of history, which is why he should be the next president. I did not listen to the
1: interview. I tried. I tried to put it on yesterday, and uh, it it did not want to play, so I gave up, but... I'm looking forward to hearing it. It sounds pretty interesting. or sound, And then we'll have more to share about that. But
0: oh, We'll talk about that, yeah. I'll talk about that all day. If you want to revel in someone's possible you know, insanity and feel a little bit more sane yourself, yeah, just listen to that one. It's on Joe Rogan, by the way, that interview that I, that we're talking about. And there's several other interviews as well. But you'll understand what we're saying. Just give it a read. Or i listen. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the point. <laughs> all right. So we've got that nailed. We talked about that. We're solving the problems of the human race as we go right now. I mean, I don't think we should stop. We should keep going. Right?
1: Oh, yeah. Problem solved all over the place here.
0: <laughs> that's right. Um, so, but the point is that I, I wanted to make is we talk about a middle class. The middle class didn't exist until after World War II. So that wasn't that long ago. That was you're like your grandfather's generation or your great-grandfather's generation. It wasn't that long ago. You're talking about three, four humans back, right? Yep. You know when the welfare state became an issue? Or you know who made that an issue? Ronald Reagan.
1: I thought you were going to say that.
0: The same guy who sold crack to the black populations across our country so he could fight wars that were not approved by Congress. But he started talking about the welfare state because capital was being shared amongst most Americans. And the rich were being taxed at a higher rate. So what did he introduce? Trickle-down economics. Trickle-down economics. It was something that he sold the American people. said, stop taxing the rich. What are you doing? You tax the rich, they can't hire more people or give their workers incentives or raises better benefits and the people bought it which okay fine they've it was never really tried back then it was just a concept but we had his two terms which resulted in a recession when George Bush came out and said no new taxes and then what happened he had to raise taxes and that was part of the reason why he lost the second the election for his second term to Bill Clinton Bill Clinton did a number of things that I don't agree with as far as ending a lot of the antitrust issues, uh, rolling back a lot of the regulations on banks and uh, other free markets that were hurting people with price gouging and fixing. And then you come to George Bush, who says, hey, guess what? I got a new concept. It's called tickle down. I mean, trickle down. No, I think he said tickle-down, and then he messed up and went back and said trickle-down economics. And you know how he talked. He was very articulate and interesting to listen to. I loved listening to him. The the hawk. Yeah, Listen to the hawk. But he introduced trickle-down economics, and we said, okay, we'll give it a try again. And then what happened? After his second term, what happened to our economic future, our economic standing at that time? We had another issue. We had another economic crisis, which, you know, you could say, well, it wasn't just him. It was, you know, 20-plus years of deregulating and not enforcing antitrust laws against the banks that were committing crony capitalism. Or my favorite is the, the politics or the business individuals who say, no, it's, it's the people's fault. It's Americans' fault because they were buying houses they couldn't afford, all right. They couldn't afford it, so it's their fault, not the bank's fault. And nobody went to jail. At least during the Great Depression, people went to jail. Bankers went to jail for fraud. For fraud. 2008, nobody goes to jail. We go through Obama, which I'm not a fan of his either. And then we, we get Trump. And guess what? More trickle-down economics. And the question... Question, Joe, has, ha- has the economics actually trickled down into your pocket?
1: I can't say that I've seen it, or, but I don't know if I would know what it looks like. Right.
0: Well, if you can't what see it, it you don't know like? what it looks like, then it can't be there, right? I, I suppose. I mean, what should it look like? Well, if you look at the economic data... Certainly, over the last few decades, you would see that wages have stagnated. The wages of today are the same as the wages 60 years ago. So there is no increase. Wages no longer climb with the rate of inflation. Well, sir, I mean, I,
1: what do you mean they haven't gone, they haven't changed or the same as 60 years ago? I would feel
0: like the wages would be more. You would, but that's inflation. You would, but that's inflation. But the fact of the matter is that your job is no longer as valuable, or more valuable now, to keep up with the cost of living, as it was sixty years ago. Well, I do know that the cost of living is rising higher than my
1: than my wage and everybody's wages, uh, if that's what you mean.
0: But I, so yeah, yeah, yeah. What that means is, after World War Two. 40s, 50s, 60s, even in the 70s, people's wages were increasing at a steady rate that were similar to the increase in inflation. And so people were able to- After or before
1: the wars? I'm sorry? Before or after the wars, it was increasing on the same-
0: After. After World War II. Mm -hmm. Okay. After World War II, the rich were taxed more uh, to invest capital in the cities. The whole whole Mm. world was destroyed. Okay? So they had to go somewhere. The, the impoverished were already taxed enough. They couldn't afford to pay for the to rebuilding of the cities that were destroyed. So the, the rich were taxed a little bit more. The capital was spread across the majority of Americans. Okay? Now, that being said, we have to understand there was a civil rights era that was an issue. Women's rights was an issue at that time. So it wasn't spread amongst all individuals, but it was spread amongst a large majority of Americans. And with that, you saw an improvement in the way of life. People became consumers because they could afford that. A one-person income could support a family of four or five. You, you could see people buying houses and, and amassing some property and getting a car. The, life was easier to afford, and it was in many ways better. Health care got better. Life expectancy increased. Now what we're finding, what we see is that people, whether or not they have a good job, depending on what kind of job you have, we have a pretty good job. But it's not what people think. We're not making six figures. Mm. Right. So our wages have not increased to keep up with inflation. So we don't have that financial freedom to be as free as people were back in the 40s and the 50s. We don't have that freedom for a one-person income to take care of a family of two or four or five or six. Don't, you can't do that now. It's very difficult. That's why most Americans work. And at the same time, which is very interesting, childbirth. You have less children born per capita, per person, okay, now, and you have a decrease in life expectancy. Life expectancy, which was increasing for so long, is now have, has has been decreasing. And yet we have to say, what the fuck? But it goes back to this notion of who controls capital. And those individuals that control capital, do they control it because of hard work or do they control it because of random luck, birth? And at the same time, because they control it, they can suppress your your upward mobility. And therefore, welfare, which didn't exist before World War II, was used as a tool to convince people that the welfare state are taking care of the lazy lazy Americans that don't want to work for a living. And that's why we need to try other concepts like trickle-down economics. But we don't talk about the welfare state that helps the wealthy so they don't pay taxes, so they get subsidies that enrich their pocket. We don't talk about that. That's really the welfare state. But they don't want to tell you that. They don't want you to know that because they want to keep making money and keep you paying for it.
1: Is it getting hot in here right now? Possibly. It might be, yeah. I think I have my air conditioner set to uh, automatically go off at this time of the morning because usually I might be out. I wasn't being literal. I was, yeah, yeah <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, that's a deep, that's a deep subject,
0: deep, deep hot and hot
1: conversation.
0: But let's go but. there. Let's, let's, let's. You know, maybe not today, but let's find time on this podcast. to Actually, go there and talk about this shit. If anything, not to create, you know, division and animosity, but to actually like have this intellectual conversation to stimulate our brains and, and to push things forward so we're continuously striving for betterment.
1: I'm sure we certainly will have those conversations and it will be interesting because I think I represent the, the majority of the Americans who don't take the time to research and learn and know more detail in more detail about how all of these things are working and what is going into and or going on behind the scenes of our politicians and politics and the inner workings of of corporations or corporate and capital because I'm I'm relatively clueless. So
0: well, you know, you say that but I think you know. I think like you said a second ago you don't know the the data but you have a general sense I can of see the inequality patterns. yes, I can yeah. see the
1: inequality in the patterns.
0: You can feel it, you know, and that's all you that's all you really need. And then you and I will point out things like that that documentary on Netflix, look it up, called Capital. And then you'll find the Monopoly experiment on YouTube. You can watch the Ted Talk. You can read some literature on it if you just Google it or Quantit. Quantit is an interesting uh, website, Joe. It does not collect nor track your information on the search engine. Okay. Okay. And is that just a search engine, or what is it? I've never heard of it. It's just like Google. Okay. But instead of collecting all your data and providing it to the highest bidder, it is uh, an encrypted site that doesn't track or keep history of you. Okay. Okay. Okay, we, we can go down that road later with the social media issue and Google and Google's ability to control markets and manipulate individuals. Um, but Quant, Quant is the... Uh, the idea behind Quant is to do what Google does without the nefarious intent. What if you're using...
1: The, what about the web browser? What about like the, um, the, the Chrome? If you use Google Chrome mm-hmm. uh, versus Internet Explorer or any of those... The web browser itself, can they not collect
0: data? Oh, yeah. They, oh, well, yeah, Google Chrome. But there's other browsers you can use to navigate the Internet without them collecting your info. Okay. So you can change. We'll talk more about that down the road. And maybe we'll, we'll interview somebody that has uh, some expertise in that. Um, and then, So that's, that's one of the rabbit holes that we're going to go down and we're going to share with people. Uh, especially when we're bullshitting around, right? Right. But uh, the mainstay of this would be how can you use nutrition and physical medicine to help you heal a fracture or to quicken the uh, pace of healing from a tear or a sprain or let's say you have a neurological insult. What can you do to possibly make things better for yourself? Does that sound about right? Yeah. So the first, uh, the first thing on our agenda is probably to get into this whole, uh, you know, originally I, w- I wanted to do bone healing. I wanted to talk about how to help with bone healing through nutrition and physical medicine and modalities. But with COVID, it's probably more appropriate to talk about immunity, nutrients, immunity, and physical medicine. To help strengthen your immune system or possibly even suppress your immune system if you if you're looking for that, but what makes things better? what makes things worse and so I think we'll spend quite some time talking about that, and we'll bring in some experts to either validate or refute that information, and we'll provide evidence as we go as well. What do you think
1: I like that 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 topic is uh, is definitely a hot topic now COVID-19 on its second, on its second rise coming into uh, November of 2020. uh, I think we could all use to know a little bit more about how to, how to build our immunity, how to improve our chances against catching this or any virus or disease. um, And, how to give ourselves the best chance to fight it off if we do catch it. Because we've seen certainly that everybody, this thing has not affected everybody the same. Some people don't get affected at all. Some people have, many people have died. Some people have been very sick and taken months to recover. And we don't know why, but.
0: Well, no, we we know why. We have a better idea now. Okay. Yeah, we have a lot better idea. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that stuff. Um, the other thing I, I, we need to talk about, and I, I want to bring this to our attention right now, is uh, what we plan to do for those that are willing to donate, or what we plan on doing with any monies that we receive from this podcast. Uh, as we alluded to earlier, you know, Jay's a physical therapy assistant. I'm a physical therapist primarily. Who, has, who happens to be a registered dietitian in addition. So we do all right. We do not make a ton of money. So we decided to do this podcast as really a goodwill to the people, and it will remain free. I do not want to charge people for receiving valuable, valuable information that could help them and benefit their life. So, But we are going to accept gratitude. So anybody who would like to donate, any sponsors that would like to sponsor us, we'll accept that. We'll probably play some ads at the beginning or at the end of the podcast so we can monetize this a little bit and, and, and make this a viable uh, enterprise for you and I, something that we can do and not have to lose money on and, as well as valuable time. But the, the, the thing I'm trying to get to is with that money – uh, Jay and I have... uh, Fucked it up. (laughs) Jay and I have already discussed 25% of the proceeds, of all proceeds, will go towards um, some near and dear associations of ours for people that have certain conditions. One of them will be cystic fibrosis. We're going to donate to cystic fibrosis, the foundation, as well as... MDA Association, and then also the SMA Association. So, cystic fibrosis. Well, um, why don't you why don't you expand on that a little bit? Tell us, tell them why we are interested in cystic fibrosis.
1: So this um, this interest is is on my behalf because I have cystic fibrosis. So I and as a thirty six year old healthy individual. With this disease, uh, I think I am among the minority of of that of this population, because it is a very, very hard disease that, that claims the lives of many people very young. Um, so I, I've been blessed with a, a mild case of it, and I that that goes into why i think i try to do as much as i do and stay as healthy as i do um, and act as active as i am so that that we do want to put into this to that um, to the cystic fibrosis foundation and just continue to help bring new medicines and developments and treatments for the people who are suffering Um, Much worse than myself, um, but as as well as everybody with that disease.
0: The next, uh, you might be wondering, okay, well, we know why they want to do cystic fibrosis, but why SMA and why the MDA? Well, my son was born with SMA, a condition also known as spinal muscular atrophy, it is proportional among all ethnicities, among all peoples, among all classes. You have to have two parents that are carriers. Those parents then have a 25% chance of having a child born with SMA. And like cystic fibrosis, it's a spectrum. There's some kids that have it worse than others. Some kids have a type 1, and traditionally speaking, they would only live for you know one to three years. And during those three years, they had hard, had a hard time breathing, so they'd be on a ventilator, or they had difficulty eating, so they'd have tubes. And very difficult on the families. We don't talk about how hard those families work day in, day out to take care of the, their, their children. My son has type 3 SMA, which is a, a higher level um, form of SMA, he can walk, although he falls quite a bit. He can get up from the ground, although with great difficulty. He can sit unsupported. He can eat. He can breathe. But he can't jump. He can't run. He does walk a little different than other kids, so kids tend to tease him. Um, he does have his struggles. So that is something that is extremely important to me. And if you're still curious to know what SMA is, I always compare it to a genetic polio. It's like having polio, only you received it genetically. And MDA, Muscular Dystrophy Association, the reason why we're going to donate to them is because they work with SMA. And if you're curious to know how those funds will be spread to those organizations, 10% will go to cystic fibrosis. 10% will go to SMA 5% will go to MDA and that's all proceeds so if you're willing to donate I will eventually be setting up a Patreon account and we'll link it to our webpage and to the uh, podcast notes so if you want to donate to help those children great if you want to donate to keep this show viable then great we would truly truly appreciate that um but those are some issues that we really care about that really mean a great deal to us. And those are the ideas that we want to communicate and talk about. We just want to have fun and help people and bullshit in between. Sound about right to you? That sounds right. Okay. I think it's probably... We're probably pretty good. You're you're ready to wrap it up, right?
1: Yeah, probably. I think we, we, we spoke, we recorded. This is... Uh... Like we said, our first recording, so it is a bit of a, a rough test. Yeah. And right. um yeah, we got into do a few things. we explained who we are and why we're here and um and what we want to do going forward. So
0: And we'll try to make it more fun. We'll try to do things that are a little bit more exciting so that it doesn't look like you're just watching two guys talk.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have said at the beginning of this one, like, hey, so you can listen to this one and hear a little bit about what we are going to do. But um, if if you jump to the next episode, that's where we're going to get into more of what uh, more of the the actual show, more of what uh, what we want you to tune in for and what we want to share with you.
0: Right. Right. And the next episode will be about nutrition. Uh and physical medicine as far as health is concerned, how to improve one's immune system. I probably will chunk it up a bit so that way we can really dive in deep with certain nutrients and certain activities and certain modalities that will help you improve your immune system. I don't want to cram it all in in one session. I I want the listener to really get an understanding and be empowered uh, with that knowledge to investigate on their own, talk with their providers on their own, and, and really try to help themselves get better or do more for themselves. The, uh, the other thing I'd like to do, and I'm going to do this for the, for the whole year, uh, I want to say thank you to some people that have inspired us to do this. I want to certainly thank uh, Sam Harris, I think he is a treasure trove of information and I really enjoy his philosophy I want to thank Sean Carroll who is a true intellect I I love listening to him Um, I want to thank Adam Meekins a lot I really enjoy your show Adam I really enjoy listening to your podcast and I like the no bullshit quality. I like the fact that you're bringing information straight up, evidence only. We're going for there, from there. And I, I also like to thank, um, last but not least, one of the people that had one of the biggest influences on this podcast, Joe Rogan. You all probably listen to Joe Rogan. Probably all know he's the king of podcasts. But he's the one that inspired this. So, uh, as well as the other individuals. So I want to say, Joe, thank you very much. We uh, we really appreciate it. That's right.